0: Blue With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. The- Stafford stepping up, going left side, watch Calvin, handsome, got him, oh baby, that was a rocket! And it's picked off, intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him, touchdown Lions. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Michael Rothstein Show. I am your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Indeed and by Bet Online. Thanks to both of our sponsors, as well as Blue Wire, for hosting this podcast as they have done each and every episode. So, not a ton of things going on here in the world of the Lions on Tuesday, which is at this point, should not be a huge shock because the trade deadline has passed. Remember, it's only a week ago that the trade deadline happened, and the Lions kind of just are where they are at the moment. We know where things stand, and that's the case. Plus, it is midseason, and instead of five keys on tomorrow's show, we will have a full midseason review of where things stand eight weeks in, where things are going to go, and... We're going to obviously get to some more of your questions, and on the back end of this podcast today, we'll get to some of your questions as well, but we'll also get to one of your questions in the front end, and then after that question, we will have our interview with Detroit Free Press, Beat Writer, and good friend of mine, and frequent guest on this podcast, Dave Burkett, to break out what's going on with the Lions at midseason? What could happen in the future? What could happen with Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia and Matthew Stafford? Where things have gone wrong? Where maybe some things have gone right? All of that coming up after the break. But before we get there, just wanted to get to at least one of your questions before the break. And that question comes from Josh Horasky, who's at Horasky Josh on Twitter. He asks, is it possible the Lions retain Matt, Patricia, and Bob Quinn despite not having played meaningful games in December due to the abnormal COVID season? So, realistically, maybe. And I know that's probably not the answer you want to hear, and I wouldn't say it's probable. I wouldn't say anything like that. But COVID, to me, is the one big outlier in all of this. Now, the Lions haven't been as affected by COVID in season as some other teams, as we've seen around the league. They haven't had a game moved because of COVID. It's been close. Obviously, the Saints game was one that bore a ton of watching back in week four. But that's just the reality of it. Although that's more on a macro level. On a micro level, the players are dealing with the COVID situation every day so are the coaches we all know what Matthew Stafford went through last week not being able to see his family and basically being stuck in a hotel the entire week so we understand all of those things I say it's possible only because basically and I'm trying to think the right way to phrase this that you don't know what the financial situation is going to be and Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia are both under contract until two thousand twenty-two, so you're paying both. You're paying both of those guys out. Some of the coaches are going to be under contracts. So you're going to have to pay that out if it ends up being an entirely new coaching staff. And it's not clear what some of those contracts are because usually we don't hear much about assistant coaching contracts. So that's part of this. And on top of the fact that you're going to have to pay a new coach and a new general manager, and then there's obviously the quarterback question. And the Lions have not had any fans yet other than friends and family. And considering their rise rising cases, one would think that that might not happen down the road. That's just me speculating, of course. So there is a financial component to this. However, Sheila Ford Hamp, when she talked in June, last time she talked, only time she's talked so far basically said that major improvement is still the goal. And it's not like she didn't understand what was going on with COVID at that point. This was at the end of June. She even said, I remember we asked about, you know, do they have to make the playoffs? Is there a number of wins that you have to have? And she said, listen, I don't want to put any of that on anything because I know it's potentially going to be a weird year, a strange year, as, frankly, everything in 2020 has been. That's the last part me saying that. So... She at least understood that and knew what she was saying in June when she still said major improvement. So I would imagine at the end of the day that COVID is not the reason. However, the virus, as we've all seen, goes in unpredictable ways. So I I don't know for sure, but I, I have a tough time seeing that just because of what Sheila Fordham said in June. And if they do decide to retain them again, obviously the question for her would be, well, how much did COVID play into this? Because so far there has not been improvement that we have seen or major improvement that we have seen without a doubt. And I think that everybody would agree with that. So that is where I think that stands. We get more into the whole job security question with Dave Burkett, right after this break here on the Michael Robinson channel. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. And Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people Fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier Fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. And get, take advantage of all of the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code bluewire at betonline.ag. That's bluewire, all one word. Bet online, you're online. Sportsbook experts. My next guest, a familiar face, even though you won't be able to see his face here on the Michael Rothstein show. So, a familiar voice. Dave Burkett from the Detroit Free Press joins me to break down the Detroit Lions at midseason because this isn't what we would be doing if we were sitting in Allen Park anyway. (laughs) Dave, welcome to the show. You know, Mike,
1: it's a a damn shame people don't get to see my face on the podcast. I I just want to throw that out there.
0: Well, no, actually, what they will do now is because technology, when I promote it, I'm going to have your face right there. So hopefully that will generate more clicks than... Beautiful. The general face, <laughs>
1: probably for my family at the very least. So,
0: hey, you know what? As long as Avery and Jack listen to the podcast, that's really my <laughs> target audience these days. It'll
1: be our warm-up music for uh, for basketball this year. So. Oh
0: God, the the dulcet <laughs> tones of uh, the dulcet tones of me, which should not happen for anybody. <laughs> I don't even think my dad feels like that. Not so, <laughs> certainly, you know. certainly, Matt Patricia does not feel like my my voice is soothing. <laughs>
1: it's a different. For years, so we're going to try something different. The Mike, the Mike Rothstein podcast before uh, before all of our basketball games.
0: Sure. I mean, listen, I'm appreciative of the downloads, my friend. You got it. So how would you describe this season?
1: Bad. Um, I, yeah, I mean, look, you know, it's uh, it, and it's so unusual, right? First, you have to take that into account with everything that's going on, you know, Corona, um, everything that. Uh, players are dealing with the organization is dealing with internally you know certainly it's been different for us we've talked about that before um, but the end result everything is judged by what happens on the field and you know it's been another disappointing year for the Lions and uh, you know three and five at the midway point and I know you say what you want right maybe they they should have won the, the the Bears game and maybe they should have lost the Falcons game and uh, Any way you slice it, you know, this team has underachieved and, um, you know, I just don't see much, as I wrote in, in the free press on Monday, I just don't see much hope for the Lions right now.
0: So where do you think their biggest failing has been? Let, let's let's maybe segment and bracket that a little bit. Let, let's look at this season first. Where do you feel like their biggest failing has been this season?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a good question, because I think the offense has underachieved, right? It hasn't been as good. We thought that was the unit that was going to carry this team a little bit. Um, and it hasn't, you know, Matthew Stafford has had a little bit of a disappointing season. But having said that, I still think it's defensively. I mean, you know, they rank bottom five in the NFL in, in a whole bunch of categories on the defensive side of the ball, points allowed, uh, rushing defense, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, in, in the fact that um, I none of these guys, I, I never thought that they were they were making these, these huge, game-changing, blue-chip additions to this defense. Jamie Collins, Danny Sheldon, Nick Williams, the free agents, you know, Jeff Okuda in round one, even like guys that were all of a sudden going to turn this defense into a top five unit. But um, three years in, and I know you said just focus on this year, but three years in, this defense should not be as bad as it's been. And there's a lack of talent. There seems to be a lack of continuity, obviously, the substitution issues of late. Um, The defense is still the thing that I think offensively they, you know, they give themselves a chance at least defensively. uh, Oftentimes they, they blow that chance.
0: Is that, I mean, like we were talking about like being a surprise there. You and I talked when we did the podcast at the start of the season that the moves they didn't make on defense still had concerns even then. So is it really even so, I mean, when I watch it, I look at Nick Williams you know you bring him up to me he just regressed back to the player that he was and he very much was the Lion- he was the Lions George Johnson from a few years ago for the Bears because he had that one big season he got paid a little bit and then George Johnson went to Tampa and that you never really heard anything from him again and you kind of feel like maybe that's what's happening with Nick Williams and then Danny Shelton I think I don't- I don't think Danny Shelton's played poorly I think he just kind of it's what he is as a player and Jamie Collins is I know you wrote it I think that I think you wrote this, is very hit or very miss. Yeah. So no, I mean, aren't they just what they are in a lot of ways?
1: Well I I, I mean I think there's there's definitely some truth to that, you know, because again, I didn't, I didn't expect these guys to all of a sudden come in, and I mean, shoot, they, they, you know, added a couple thirty-year-olds to their defense, right? You're usually when you sign a player like that, or you mm-hmm. sign a New England cast-off for that matter, even Daron Harmon in the back end, right? You acquire him in a trade. There's a reason Bill Belichick gets rid of these guys, as we've always said. Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't expecting like greatness out of the defense, and but I don't know, they're just the. The lack of continuity on that side of the ball, the lack of playmaking ability, the the lack of being able to do anything that, um, you know, really seems to make an impact is that's what, you know, befuddles me the most that, you know, they just, they continue to not be able to stop the run. You know, they continue to not create enough turnovers, not get enough sacks. And yes, that's, that's a product of personnel, but you know, if you believe Matt Patricia's vision, it shouldn't matter, right? Like he wants all these guys that are interchangeable and do a bunch of things well. And, and I've said it before, that's not how I would build a defense, right? I want some dogs on my defense. I want some guys that are the best at their position or really great at one thing, right? If you can get after the passer, Um, you know, you're going to have a really good pass rush. And they just don't have anybody that can do that. They value versatility over, uh, you know, elite ability, it seems. And I don't think that's the right way to go about building a defense.
0: I mean, and they get rid of the players who maybe have that, quote-unquote, elite-ish ability. I mean, because their one elite guy was Darius Slay. And he's – say what you will about him and Matt Patricia and all that. He's not playing – even though Philly's – not good he's not playing poorly at least statistically it looks like
1: right and you know I think that'll be one of the failings of Matt Patricia's regime here when it's you know all buttoned up in a few weeks or months or whatever it is is that you know he never found a way to um, you know work with some of the, the best talent that he had and, and push some of these guys out the door and Darius Slay I mean look Slay's a, a good player you know he's not a Hall of Famer but he's a he was a good player for the Lions and Quandre Diggs you know he was a good player and uh, you know, even before that, you go back to 2017, Golden Tate, say, you know, same boat. He wasn't even at Slay's level, but he was a good player. But you got to figure out a way to work with some of these guys. And uh, Matt never did that, uh, at least the, the first couple of years. And, and they, you know, reverted back to wanting some of these, you know, these Patriot guys, even though maybe they were at the end of their careers or whatever it was. And so I just, um, you know, I, I think a lot of that falls on, on Matt Patricia and his you know, the, the lack of flexibility that he had as a coach.
0: It's interesting that we're talking about some of this, because you mentioned t- substitution issues before. Deron Harmon talked yesterday on – well, we're recording this Tuesday. He talked Monday. You're going to hear this Wednesday. All right. Deron Harmon basically says, I'm going to now count defensive players every <laughs> play. A couple things there. One, shouldn't that really be on the coaches and not on Duran Harmon? And two yeah. – <laughs> Shouldn't theoretically Duran Harmon have been doing that already?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's on the coaches and not on Duran Harmon, right? You know, Harman's just a leader. He's trying to, you know, make sure that it doesn't happen again and, you know, give him credit for that. Um, I don't know, you know, that, that might be Jamie Collins because he was the guy that that sets the huddle. I mean, you can see him in the play the other day where he's waving towards the sideline right as they snap the ball looking for the, you know, the, the defensive end that wasn't out there. Um, so I don't know, I don't know who, you know, who that responsibility, who's tasked with that responsibility, if that's Harmon or, or Collins. But, yes, somebody should be doing that. Um, certainly that changes, you know, quick quick change situations or, you know, tempo or, or different things like that factor into, uh, you know, when a player may recognize that. But uh, in my eyes, this is, you know, 100% on the coaches, not on the players.
0: No, I'm with you. It was interesting, however, when I was watching Monday Night Football last on uh, Monday night and – yeah, I'll admit, like, I tortured myself a little bit. and Watch that. <laughs> you saw – they showed New England's punt returner, and you could see him actually pointing and counting each guy right. on punt return. And I was like, huh, all right. Like, so there is some validity <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I think, you know, um, again, everyone has, you know, different responsibilities and I I think a linebacker is is tasked with that a lot of times because he's the one relaying the defense. You know, he sees, he sets the front, he sets that front seven. So he sort of knows that count. Maybe that's Harmon or whoever in the back end to make sure they're lined up right. But um, regardless of whose responsibility it is, I think it's a poor reflection on on the the coaching staff that's happened three times in two weeks.
0: Do you think, I mean, I know we're harping a lot on the defense, but even – so y'all obviously don't see the TV broadcast. I'm not traveling this year, so I see it on road games. At halftime on Sunday, Melanie Collins said that – Matt Patricia really said that in halftime they really – you know, he talked to his team about focusing on stopping the run. And then Dalvin – it didn't matter. Like, is that is that where it's just at with this defense where Matt Patricia can almost say whatever he wants, but it's just not going to matter because the personnel isn't there? Or do you think it really is maybe a failing on the coaching staff? Or is it realistically, and this may be probably the answer, everything?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to to separate, right? I mean, certainly, you know, there is a, a lack of blue chip talent, at least on that side of the ball. But I don't think their their defensive talent is as bad as – you know, their their record or their statistics, you know, they, they I mean, you know, I, I don't know that they have a bottom three run defensive talent, right? When you have a, a big body like Danny Shelton up front and, uh, you know, he, he should be able to plug some holes and, he, you know, he played pretty well in New England and, you know, Jamie Collins obviously has had some good years and again, he's, he's 30. So, so you do expect a little bit of a decline, but Um, you know you spend a couple high draft picks on that at least uh, in theory you know you should have some talent there so um, I think it falls on everything I I don't and it's it's weird because it's not like at least my impression Mike and you know this it's not you know it's tough to get a, a real great read on what's happening in the locker room this this year not being in the locker room but you know I don't I don't have this impression that they've tuned Matt Patricia out I just I don't know if for whatever reason things don't seem to be clicking and part of that may be talent. And part of that I think is the way the coaches use the talent. I mean, Mike, look, look, I fully admit, you know, I'm, I'm there's a, a lot of football people out there that know a whole lot more than me. And that's why I tend to rely on those guys when it comes to evaluating talent for the drafts or on pro teams across the league or whatever. But I just don't get why when you're the Lions and you're essentially playing Danny Shelton and Nick Williams and, and uh, John Penasini right that's your like run defense right well you're not getting any pass rush out of there like that seems easy for me as an offense to to combat and and to you know scheme against and then when you come in with Trey Flowers when he was healthy and Romeo Cuara and and no one else uh you know on the defensive line really you got a couple linebackers that are helping pass rush well it's sort of the same thing like that seems pretty easy to attack like you know what's coming and so uh, as much as the the Lions can talk about having these versatile guys and guys that do different things and wanting to scheme up their their defense to be able to stop any kind of attack, like that's not the case. At least I don't see that being the case because these guys seem to have such limited roles. John Pennacini, not a pass rusher, big body, maybe a run clogger, right? Same thing with Danny Shelton. Nick Williams not getting any pass rush out of him. So, and Trey Flowers, I think he's a really good run defender, but he's not an elite you know pass rusher. But he's he's probably their best defensive player up front. So. I don't know, I just, I think the way it's constructed, uh, you know, the, the ideology behind it, um, I've, I've had some problems with this defense from the get-go, and I think we're seeing that play out again here in year three.
0: Well, I mean, it, it goes to that, the two games before Trey Flowers got hurt, and there's no, we don't know for sure whether this was, you know, Flowers was more of a cumulative injury or something, because he was on the injury report with wrist stuff, and we don't exactly know totally what's going on because it was late in the game, and they yeah. got away with being able to undisclose it. But when you look at Trey Flowers, you're paying him, what, $80 million, and he's become a situational player for you. How does that happen? I, I, that, that, to me, is the biggest failing is Definitely. Trey Flowers becomes a situational player. You miss on, how, on Vitae, totally miss on how you – whether Vitae ends up being okay or not, you miss on him for what you wanted him to be. Maybe he ends up working out, but you, you paid him to be your right tackle. He's right now your right guard. And he got beat out by the guy who was on your roster as a fifth round pick that that everybody knew could probably handle it so what who is a who's that on is that on Bob Quinn is that on Patricia like where does that lie I mean and then that doesn't even get into jesse James
1: <laughs> right who's obviously. Uh, that money has not been well spent. No, I I mean, certainly that falls on, on Bob Quinn. You know, he's the one who acquires the talent. But with the Trey Flowers thing, look, you know, that – I mean, he was a Matt Patricia guy, right? They were good reason. I mean, fit the defense, and he is a good player. But – when you pay a, a defensive end, you know, $18 million a year, you expect to get some, some significant pass rush out of them, And that's not Trey Flowers. And for the coaching staff to now use him as essentially a situational pass rusher, that's misusing him right? He needs to, be, it, when you're just playing Danny Shelton and John Penasini and Nick Williams as your sort of, you know, three down linemen in your run defense, like that's limiting what you can do because none of those guys can get after the passer. Trey Flowers can at least get after the passer and affect the pocket. And he, I think he's a, a really good run defender. So I, I don't like the way the Lions have, have used him or used him before his injury at least. Um, but yes, Mike, I, I think, you know the decisions that the team has made uh in free agency uh some of these guys the, the guys that you mentioned specifically uh you know the returns have been disappointing i will say this though you know i'm i'm of the belief at least that you don't have to be a huge spender in free agency that you don't need to go out and, and you know win free agency and so even though you know vitai was a disappointment and jesse james was a disappointment to me those guys were those those signings were just about plugging holes and really what you have to do is build through the draft. And, and I don't, I don't know that, um, you know, I would have rather seen them have been a wiser use of, of resources. Um, but – and they probably could have got him for cheaper had they signed him, you know, a year ago before he he, he hit free agency. Um, but the, the free agent decisions themselves, as disappointing as they are, I don't look at those signings, Vitae, Jesse James, some of the other guys, and say that's why the Lions are where they are right now. Because I think when you get to that point of chasing players and t- talent in free agency, you know, you've already lost uh, the war.
0: No, I would agree with you there. And without a doubt, I want to flip to offense a bit because – one thing that has been really interesting to me is how this offense seems to be much less productive when Kenny Galladay goes out. And considering receiver was theoretically their deepest position, is that, that, so is it, is that surprising to you in any way? Or does it maybe just show how valuable Galladay is, which then leads to the why haven't you signed Kenny Galladay question?
1: Yeah, I think we were we were maybe a little snowed by into thinking that the the receiving core was deep, you know, or deeper than than it really is. I mean, Kenny Galladay's a to me, he's a difference maker. Um, I don't think they have any other difference makers on the, you know, the the roster, really, frankly. But but at that position, I mean, the other guys are, you know, they're they're Jags right now, right? Just a guy. I mean not bad. And and certainly they can have roles both with the lions and and with a lot of teams, you know, Marvin Jones in particular, you know, I still think Marvin has, has value and has, has a lot to offer, but there's no one else in that receiving core who teams are circling on their, you know, their, their board when they walk in Wednesday and saying, you know, we really got to stop this guy here. And so I I think that's what, you know, when you look at some of the other, um, you know, units across the league, I guess, Kelvin Ridley, along with Julio Jones, um, you know, the, the duo down in Tampa or trio now, I guess, with Antonio Brown, you know, I don't, I think even though the Lions had some depth at that position, you know, you take Kenny Galladay away and I, and I think the, um, you know, the, the, the unit falls apart in a lot of ways just because it, it, you know, those guys aren't, they don't challenge the defense in the same way that Kenny does. So, um, but, you know, having said that, I, like I said, I, I don't think it's a, a bad unit. I, I think there, there are some, you know, I've been impressed with Jamal Agnew, what he's done a little bit. It's just, you know, he's not like an elite slot receiver or something like that. Um, Like I said, Marvin Jones has some value. Um, So I I think they have some talent there, but I think Galladay is the guy that, you know, he he rises above everyone else and you really need him to make that unit whole. Do
0: you, you think they're still relying too much on Amendola? I mean, he's, but again, Agnew's hurt. So yeah, maybe that changes things. But when when yep. Agnew's healthy at this point, doesn't Agnew really in some ways give you more than than Danny Amendola at this point in, in his career? Yeah,
1: I don't – I mean, you know, look, Amendola, I know he led them in, in catches and yards I think the other day. Um, you know, he's, he's had a nice career, very nice career. But, you know, I would frankly rather see Jamal Agnew, Marvin Hall, some of those guys, just because um, I think the element that they bring to the offense, right, Marvin Hall – uh, maybe he's not going to be as consistent as Danny Amendola, but his deep speed, you know, that's something that, that you can do, you know, you can do things with and that that really challenges the defense where, you know, Amendola's the guy that goes across the middle and not discounting that you need that in the offense. But, um, you know, I, I would rather see some of those other guys on the field.
0: Who's been the biggest surprise for you, maybe in a positive vein, if there is one.
1: Uh, let's think. Well, I mean, you know, look, uh TJ Hawkinson, he's always going to have his the status as the number eight pick of the draft, you know, hanging over his head. But I, I, I like some of the strides we've seen from him this year. I think he's, you know, he's become a, a very important part of that offense. Um, you know, give give Jonah Jackson credit and really, you know, the the scouting staff and Bob Quinn credit for identifying Jonah Jackson. You know, I think he's been a um, you know, it's not easy to step in as a, as a rookie at any position, especially in this offseason. He's played well and, and played both guard positions. Um, so I, I think Jonah Jackson's a guy that, you know, deserves a, a little bit of a tip of the cap. Um, and Amani Oraria, you know, he didn't play particularly well the other day, but I thought the first seven games of the season, he was the Lions' best cornerback. So, you know, that's three names and a couple of those, you know, uh, day two or later draft picks, all those guys draft picks, really. But but in Namani and Jonah Jackson, in particular, you know, those are mid-round picks that I think the Lions have done well on.
0: Is that something that, when you look at it, look at a warrior for a second—not to go back to the defense, but how do you handle that now if you're the Lions? Because are you you're yeah. taking a warrior off the field to bring in True Font, but you paid True Font a lot of money, right? And I mean, I thought True played all right, yeah. But now you're sitting, you know, you're you're making a choice between the guy you paid a bunch of money to a guy who's probably your, maybe your best outside corner and your number three overall pick who you need to develop. Like you got a plan. Yeah. What, what do you do at that point at, at, and really can anything they do be the right answer? That's, that's the real question, right? Yeah. It's a tough spot.
1: And, you know, maybe it's a good spot in some way to have some of that depth because, you know, really you're playing to win now. You always are. And, and, you know, Trufant is, is the best You know, option in that regard, I guess, right? You know, he's he's still the best cornerback, even though we've we've barely seen him this year. You know, Amani's the guy that played the best, I thought, at least through the first seven weeks. But you know, you could also tell by the way that they've been using those guys, uh, Okuda and and Amani. That is that you know the maybe where the coaching staff trusted um, or or what they think of their you know individual skills. I guess I mean, Okuda was the guy that you know they would have travel with receivers a little bit or match up every once in a while with a Devontae Adams or, uh, you know, a, a DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, they moved Jeff Okuda in his second game. They moved him to the right side of the defense. He'd been playing left cornerback and moved Imani to the left left cornerback spot uh, just so he would be on DeAndre Hopkins the whole time. And now they were going to have help over the top and everything. But I don't know. To me, when, when you're doing that, that tells me that you see something in Jeff Okuda that you really want to um, – you know, continue to develop that you think he has some, you know, some skills that can really match up with some of these, you know, top receivers. So um, even though I thought Imani played the best on the field, um, I think you can look at some of the signals that were being sent behind the scenes and uh, you know, maybe realize that they still had Imani third in in this rotation. So going forward, I think, you know, he still has to play. All three of them still have to play. uh, But, you know, maybe that's a, like you said, maybe there is no, no uh, right answer, but um, in the, the grander scheme of things it's it's a good problem to have.
0: When you look at the, the when you look at Okuda, I do wonder and we talked about this before the draft, is he potentially in a position like a Hawkinson or an Ebron where if he doesn't perform at this insane level, there's going to be a segment of their fan base and fan base means whatever they mean, but that's going to always be like, Oh, and mm-hmm. I know you wrote about it with two, you know, because obviously they, they passed on Tua, they passed on Justin Herbert, they passed yeah. on, you know, some defensive talent, other defensive talent at, at pass rusher that for Jeff Okuda at a position that's not traditionally taken in a top five or top 10. So, do you worry at some point that that's going to affect him or do you think that he's a different type of guy where that's maybe not going to be as big of a deal to him?
1: Um, you know, I, I wish I, you know, knew him well enough to to say whether it would affect him or not. I mean, I, my sense is that, you know, <laughs> the Lions don't think it will, you know, that he's a, he's a pretty uh, strong willed guy. So, um, but yeah, some of the Lions fan base is certainly, especially when it comes to the quarterbacks, You know, they're not going to let him or the Lions live that pick down if Tua or Herbert turn out to be, you know, some sort of Pro Bowl quarterback. So, um, long way to go till then. And I would caution anyone, you know, against writing off Jeff Okuda. Like, he's a very talented player, and I think he can be a good player in time. You don't expect the cornerback to come in as a rookie and, you know, and and be an all-pro. So, I I think the Lions still have, uh, you know, a a good player there. Um, But, yeah, for a lot of fans – you know, it's gonna to be tough to to look at what those quarterbacks in the AFC do and uh and then look at your cornerback and if those quarterbacks are any good, think that you made the right decision.
0: Right. And that I mean that's um I've said it over and over like you gotta give Okuda time and that anyone who didn't think that this basically what you're seeing is what was going to be from Okuda this year. Yeah. Wh- like you, you had unrealistic expectations. <laughs> like much like Hawkinson last year, frankly. <laughs> No doubt.
1: And I think the value of a cornerback in today's NFL, too, and, and I know there are people who would disagree with that, but I think the value of a cornerback in today's NFL, if you get a really good one, I, I absolutely think he is worth a, a top five pick. You know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm a little more lukewarm on, on taking a tight end that high, uh, but I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with taking a cornerback that high because I think, you know, cornerbacks can be game changers. They can be some of those, those blue chip players, you know, at a, at a very meaningful position if you find the right guy.
0: Quickly on Stafford, do you think that – and this is something that I've kind of debated internally. We've even talked about, you know, not publicly. Like, do you think that this is maybe the last eight games for him in Detroit? And I know that there's so much that goes into yeah. that, right? Whether Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia is still here, whether even maybe one of them is still here might, frankly, be the decision – might be the decision maker. Yeah. But do you Um, get the sense that 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 this might be it, that fans should probably kind of like Calvin, kind of like, you know, some other players in the past, like, enjoy this while you're seeing it?
1: uh, You know, it's I mean, never rule it out. Right. I would say it's uh, and and it's higher than a non zero chance or whatever. Right. I mean, I, I think there's you know, there's it's certainly possible that it could be. Um, because of all that you mentioned, right? If it's a new regime change, if they have a high enough pick where they can get a quarterback, if it's, you know, if they want to embark on a a rebuild, then yeah, I absolutely could see it being the end, but I I still have my doubts that it's going to happen because I think, you know, the natural instinct of of anyone who comes in is to want to win now, you know, the, and Stafford is a, he's a good player and, uh, you know, he's he's always carried himself well in the community. You know, he's he's liked by ownership. He's liked by Rod Wood. You know, there's, there's a lot to like about Matthew Stafford. Um, and so I think, you know, uh, even though he is going to need a new contract again in a year or two at most if you keep him, but I think, you know, a year maybe, um, that uh, I think the chances are still better that he's here in 2021
0: than he's not. I got the sense, and maybe this is me reading too much into stuff, and it goes back to, like we talked about, not being in the locker room this year is given, has been much tougher to gain the pulse of players, of certain players, of the team, of a whole bunch of stuff. But hearing him on Sunday, that's the most I felt like mentally exhausted. Yep. Now, granted, he had all of the COVID issues, all the stuff with his family, but that was the most mentally exhausted I think I had ever heard him after a game or I, even after anything.
1: No, I think you're right. And I think we've seen it a couple of times this year. I'm trying to think there was one other game. Maybe it was the saints game um, where it, he sort of struck me in the same way where it was like, oh, God, we're going through this again. And, and I think this past week it was more about everything that he was dealing with and, you know, on top of everything going on in the football world. Um, but, you know, look, I mean, what we don't know, and Matthew's a private guy so i don't know how much we'll we'll ever really know about that is whether he wants out on some level you know i mean he says all the right things and he cont- will continue to say all the right things but um you know go back to what Dan Orlovsky said this summer um told me he told a couple people um you know that you know he how he had talked to Matthew and and had told him that you know maybe it's uh if things don't work out this year that uh you know, maybe the organization wants to move on, maybe it's time for Matthew to move on for his own sake. And so, you know, that's always something to keep in mind that, um, you know, there's, there's two parties that, you know, that, that uh, are part of this whole thing here. And so, you know, maybe, maybe a, a split does come, but like I said, you know, Matthew is, you know, he's a guy that's all about football um, and, you know, I, without even getting into the cap ramifications of, of what a move would, would come. You know, he's a good enough player that I think most people in the NFL would, would agree that you can win with. And and when you have that at the quarterback position and you don't have, you know, a top three pick where you can take uh, the heir apparent, it's tough to go away from that.
0: No, I'm with you totally. It's just a matter of at what point is at what point you kind of well, you know, you kind of say, well, this didn't work, (laughs) you know? And that's, that, and that's, I think the big question, because listen, I've been covering this team eight years. You've been covering what, 10 now from really like 2015 on very much kind of like my whole theory of that they've had some sort of coach hot seat since week four of 2015, but it's felt like from 2015 on, there's been the question of is this it for Matthew Stafford in Detroit but this is, to me, maybe the most real it feels so far.
1: Mike, I you know, I wrote that, uh, I don't know when, probably back September, late September, early October, that this was the biggest crossroads season for the franchise because even though there were some of the, that talk about Stafford, you know, early on in his career, not not really early on, but you think about it, right? 2009, when they draft him the biggest crossroads since Matt Millanette is because 2009, uh, you, you were starting over, right? Even when Schwartz left, uh, when Schwartz was fired in 2013, like there was no talk about getting rid of Stafford then. He was a young guy, you know, his two years removed from 5,000 yards and, and everyone saw the talent. So they they weren't at the complete crossroads then. Uh, when they get rid of, of uh, you know, that, that they make those changes in the 2015 season, right? Midway through the 2015 season, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there was some debate about what was going to happen, but I think Stafford was still young enough in his career that there was no real sense of, all right, you know, Matthew's, you know, Matthew could be a part of this thing too. Bob Quinn comes in, you know, they redo Stafford's deal at some point. They seem like they're married to him. So even when he fired Jim Caldwell, Stafford wasn't going anywhere. And now this is the, the year where Patricia's job is, you know, uh, in jeopardy to be kind. You know, uh, Bob Quinn, who knows what's going to happen there at the GM spot, the quarterback spot. You know, this is really the the one year where you can look at it and say, "Well, you know, he's twelve years in, and he's thirty two, about to be thirty three, and he hasn't won anything." And we'll see where they pick. And you know, there's a lot of factors, but I think this really is the one year where all three of those things are sort of coming together, and you could see a, a massive change. I don't, I don't, you know, again, if I'm a betting man, I don't think all three of those those things are going to happen, but um, it certainly has to be on the board at least.
0: Last question: Where are you? where do you see this thing ending up at the end of the year the rest of the way? Like when we're, when we're sitting there in week 17, watching them play Minnesota at Ford field, if that happens because of COVID, where, where do you think that, that this all ends up? Um, I mean, you know,
1: I don't, uh, I mean, look all signs point to them, you know, making a coaching change. I mean, I'm certainly not going to predict that here or call for that, you know, here. Um, but you know, all signs certainly point to that happening right now. So, you know, if they, if that was what happened, uh what's their last game? January 3rd, come January 4th, and it wouldn't surprise me. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if it happened earlier if they have a couple more losses. But um, you know, that being said, um I you know, I don't again we talk about the the major turnover and the major changes that are coming. Um it's, it's, it's sometimes tough to do like what the Dolphins did where you trade away all your good players and you, you hit rock bottom and, and then you you hope to, you know, hit on the right coach and the right quarterback and, you know, have a bunch of, of assets like they do. And so I don't, I don't know that, that the Lions are at that point. So um, I do foresee some changes, uh, you know, expect some changes to be coming this off season, uh, but we'll just have to wait and see how how drastic they're going to be. I mean, barring some sort of miraculous playoff run here where they, they – you know, go 10 and six and somehow, you know, we're in a wild card spot. Um, that's what I'd be. That's what I'd be betting on at least.
0: Dave, as always, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. You got it, Mike. Anytime. I want to thank Dave for coming on the show. You can follow him at Dave Burkett on Twitter. Always enjoy when Dave comes on the program, you get a little bit of insight and a little bit of the feel of our conversations in the press room back when we could go into the press room before COVID hit back in prior years. So I always love when Dave comes on the program. I want to take just a minute here to thank all veterans here on Veterans Day. Uh, My grandfather, who died a few years back, was a veteran of World War II. And, you know, he's he told me some stories over the years um miss him every day and i'm grateful for his service and i'm grateful for the service of all of my listeners who are veterans we've talked a little bit at least some here and there and just so so grateful for all of you i know that i've said grateful a few times but that's really the best word for me to to describe it uh one of My close family, friends, one of my brother's best friends, Tommy Hind. I don't even know if Tommy listens to this podcast, but he is a veteran as well. And that dude means the world to me. He's like a brother to me. So, you know, obviously think of him every day uh, as he is hanging out in New York and back where I'm from. And like I said, every veteran, if you have friends, family members that are veterans, Talk to them today. Thank them today for their service. And I thank all the veterans who are listening to this show for their service here on this Veterans Day. I said we would get to a couple of more questions here before we wrap up the show today. So we will get to one or two more. This comes from Eric Woodchips and Briquette's Johnson, who's at Ernie J7. He asks, if we were to replace, meaning the Alliance, Patricia Who would be an option that runs a similar defense? And I'm not going to get into options there, mostly because I don't necessarily think they'll run a similar defense. I don't think that that's going to be some sort of priority or some sort of mandate. I think if you're getting rid of Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, again, we don't know if that's going to happen. But if that comes to pass then I think it's not going to matter because you're probably looking at a complete and total rebuild anyway. If just Matt Patricia ends up getting ends up getting let go, maybe Bob Quinn tries to focus on that because of the guys he has drafted in that, but I don't think that that would be limiting as well. To me, a guy that maybe you would look at, and I say this only because of the Belichick tree and they seem to play similar defensive styles, many of the Belichick-level coaches, is obviously Bill O'Brien would be a name that you would possibly look at, although he's an offensive coach. So whoever he brought in as a defensive coordinator would probably be their own type of decision-making and what type of defense they wanted to run. But it's obviously a defensive system that Bill O'Brien is familiar with. Um, Josh McDaniels obviously is another name that could end up being a head coach situation. I can't see that necessarily happening here, whether Bob Quinn remains as general manager or whether it's a complete reboot i just can't see that happening based off of what happened with matt patricia again if they let go of matt patricia so he's another guy that would maybe run a similar system because of the familiarity with it other than that i don't know that's a tough question but i think that if you are looking to mimic what They've got with the personnel they've got. It's a very specific system that's tough to do. So I don't necessarily think they would go down that road. But those would be two guys if you're looking for that general idea that maybe would run similar systems. But I don't get the sense that I I, I don't know. I that just is me kind of spitballing there a little bit. Uh, we'll take one more question, and I'm taking this one mostly because. I don't know. It really struck me as as a difficult one, only from I know that there are definitely fans that feel this way. And I don't think it's a fair thing to feel, which comes from Paul Jackson, which is Paul M. Jackson nine. Do any of the Lions actually care? And I can tell you wholeheartedly and 100 percent. Yes, they care. The Lions players, the Lions coaches, they absolutely care. You can see it if you've watched the Zoom calls with the players that talk to the media on a regular basis. In Daron Harmon, you can just hear the frustration and the passion and just the the anger that's, that's there with how they've been playing when you listen to him on Monday, when you listen to him back in week three and week four whenever he talked uh, in September. You can hear it in Matthew Stafford because Matthew Stafford pours everything into this. I mean, think of what Matthew Stafford did because of a close contact situation. Think of the situation he had. And, you know, I mean, he had to rush home and almost break protocol because of his family. And it was, you know, you could tell what that did to him last week and how much that all weighed on him. But to say that these guys don't care is just, I mean, that's that's ridiculous. That's fallacy. That's. I mean I've been in locker rooms where you know it's been bad seasons where it's been hard but you see it I mean you listen to Matt Patricia talk and listen you know Matt Patricia and I we have we 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 have our questions and our answers you know and there's never been any doubt in my mind how much he cares that to me is is obvious and you you hear it in how he talks about football and you hear it in how he answers some of the questions. And you can see it after games, after he loses the anguish that he has. And, and the Lions have lost more than they've won. But you can just tell that it hurts him and it weighs on him. And you can see it in the other coaches, the position coaches when we talk to them and the coordinators when we talk to them on a week-to-week basis. Like, they all care. This, these are their jobs. These are their livelihoods. This is something for coaches and for players That they spend countless hours, months away from their families to do this. And sure, they're well compensated. There's no doubt about that. But that isn't part of necessarily all of this. It's also they do this because they love football and because they care. There are coaches on staff that haven't seen their families in months because their families are in different parts of the country. There are players who haven't seen their kids in months. Because their kids are in different parts of the country. Because they're old enough to go to school and they don't want to completely disrupt their lives and shuttling them back and forth. So to suggest that they don't care when they're spending all of that time away from the people that they love and the people that they that matter to them. Man, that that's really tough and that's, that's rough and that's not fair. Because they do care. They may not be good enough to win games. They may be struggling to compete they may end up some people not being here next year but they absolutely care and i haven't seen anything on the field to tell me that they don't and obviously we're not in the locker room and sometimes you can get the sense like week 16 week 17 maybe week 15 where you know guys are making business decisions it's still halfway through the season And even then, in Week 15, 16, and 17, guys still care. It's just you're caring about different things. You're caring about your future at that point. You're caring about making sure you don't maybe get hurt or or preserving your future. But that's not going on right now. These guys care. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I feel 100% positive. These guys care. Now, what their motivations are, that can differ. But players throughout time immemorial... Their motivations are different because they're different human beings, each and every one of them. Everyone plays for something different. I I think I wrote about that at some point a few years back of what guys play for. And, you know, obviously sometimes the answers are are pretty expected. But, yeah, I, I look at it and I say, yeah, they care. There's no doubt that the Lions players and the Lions coaches and the Lions front office staff They care. They care incredibly greatly. That's bad English, but they care a lot because you don't put in the hours that they do without really, really caring about what you do. So you can think what you want about them and you can say what you want about them, but don't say they don't care. That's the show for today. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back with you tomorrow right here on the Michael Rothstein show.